You and I with Rashmi Shetty is a simple attempt of bringing in stories of people you and I can draw inspiration from. Ordinary folks, extraordinary lives, their uniqueness and individuality that make them interesting to talk to and to listen to. A reaffirmation of the fact, open your eyes wider, the world is far more beautiful when we acknowledge the presence of both you and I. Our guest today is Major R.D. Bhargava, an alumnus of Jawaharlal Nehru University, Delhi, and the Indian Military Academy, Dehradun. During an illustrious career of over 21 years in the Indian Army, the Regiment of Artillery, he held various positions, including the position of Deputy Director in the NCC Directorate, Karnataka and Goa. An HR leader and a learning facilitator, he is a qualified interpreter of the Chinese language. A keen enthusiast in adventure activities, he has the distinction of leading two expeditions in the Western Himalayas in 1988 and 89. He has over 22 years of work experience in the private sector enterprise, in manufacturing, engineering design and consultancy, IT, organized retailing sector, construction and management education in various leadership roles. Welcome, Major R.D. Bhargava, to you and I with Rashmi Shetty. I just realized that I've always known you as Major Bhargava and uh, was intrigued. I've never asked you your first name. So can we start with your name and then go on your journey? Rashmi, coming to your question about my name, it is a very interesting, I would say a small uh, story. Because I've come across this question several times at several places, especially when I was in North India, and especially when I meet my North Indian colleagues. Because Bhargava is a surname uh, for a certain set of people uh, hailing from Rajasthan, Madhya Pradesh, yeah. but this is not my surname, this is my first name. Actually, it is Bhargava Rama Devaraya Durga. Devaraya Durga is our ancestral place from where our ancestors migrated to Bangalore and my great-grandfather is actually a street, the fourth man in Maleshwaram was named after him. Uh, he was a legal luminary and he was uh, honored by Mysore Maharaja with two uh, villages. So my grandfather inherited that and was known as Jodidhar. So because Jodigrama means two villages. So that is the kind of people they were. Though of course only the memories remain because the there was a huge mansion on Fort Main Road. It was named as Kalanidhi, where my grandfather's family lived. It is no longer existing. One of the three sons of my great-grandfather. My father had his education in Bangalore and then joined the education service. His first appointment was a high school headmaster. So he got married in 1950 and 1951, I was born. When I was born, I was to be named my paternal aunt who was studying uh, Visharda and uh, MA in Samskruta thought that I should be named after Parashurama. Parashurama, famous for his vala and of course his anger also. But the kind of uh, decision he took of beheading his own mother. So that kind of strong personality, what she thought 
I should become. And she wanted me to name Bhargava Rama because my name was to start with the letter Ha. But after it was recorded in my school documents and then subsequently completed my preliminary education and applied for services selection board, they renamed, they said, your name is not as per the sequence. So they named me as Rama Devaraya Durga Bhargava, R.D. Bhargava. So Bhargava Rama Devaraya Durga became R.D. Bhargava, Cadet R.D. Bhargava, Major R.D. Bhargava. That is how the name stuck. And usually, uh, most of the people address me as Major. I said, Major is just a rank. There are n number of people who held that rank, who are holding that rank, serving, retire, and those who are elsewhere. So major does not connote a particular person. Major is just a rank which we wear on our shoulders and which is a title for us granted by the president of India. My identity is I am Bhargava. For everybody, I am Bhargava. And since I enjoy holding a rank or holding, I held a rank and it goes with my life, Major Bhargava, please address me as Major Bhargava. And that is how it is going. So that is the story behind my name. You know what intrigues me, Major Bhargav, the fact that I thought maybe you have a precedence with an inspiring father in the defense force or an uncle or a grandfather. And from whatever you've told us till now, nobody seems to have a defense connect. What made you choose the defense forces? Uh, as a little boy, did you see someone? Were you inspired by someone? Can you take us back on what uh, drew you to the defense forces? Absolutely, Rashmi. This is a very good question. And uh, nobody had asked me this question. Perhaps people even didn't think about it. And it's, I think it is a very apt and a relevant question. Because like you rightly said, here uh, now people have uh, got kind of awareness about the defense services and uh, a lot of people have started taking up defense services as a career so there is and also uh, various campaigns that we had various wars that our country fought some kind of awareness has set in otherwise people still do not know they cannot differentiate an army person from a bsf person or uh, somebody serving in crpf so that is the kind of awareness it was still worse you know in our younger days. So I'd never thought of joining the army for any, for wildest of my you know, imagination. But it happened. It, ha it all happened because I was you know, presented with a challenge. The challenge I faced was uh, I scored very high percentage of marks in those days we were studying three languages, Kannada, Hindi, and English. And uh, in my 10th standard matriculation, I scored a rank in the subject. I think I was second or third in the Kannada, and I was, I think, ninth rank in English, and Hindi, of course, was not considered. So I had a flair for languages, and when I did uh, this kind of thing, and uh, I wanted to take up humanities, everybody who knew me from my childhood discouraged me from taking up humanities. You have to become a doctor, you have to become an engineer, or you have to study science, graduate, and then joined the central services. So there was a very high pressure. My parents were subjected to a lot of pressure that don't encourage you to take up. What, what will you do after completing BA honors? Will you become a college lecturer? Or is it, is it, isn't he capable of doing many, many, much more than that? So when I was presented with that, then 
with, with the, the percentage of marks I had scored, I was able to get an admission in National College in Basanbudi in Bangalore, which is considered, those days also, it was considered to be a very college of very high academic standard. Since I came from a rural background, like I told you, my father was a headmaster, high school headmaster, and uh, my childhood began in Malayshwaram. I was born in 1951, and in 1953, my younger brother was born. I was taken to my grandfather's place, my paternal grandfather's place in Malayshwaram. There, only four members were present in the family, my grandparents, my grandfather, my grandmother, and two younger sisters of my father. The first younger sister was uh, studying in MA, and the other one was studying in BA. So all the four of them were highly disciplined. They would get up very early in the morning. My grandfather used to get up at around 4.30 in the morning. Then you take bath and then do his morning prayers and followed by my grandmother and my aunts. And all of them washed their own clothes. My grandparents, my aunts. So they were all self-reliant and very less, you know, we, we used to have conversation, but not loud. Or, so I grew up like that. So... Thereafter, I, I was put in a school in Malayshwaram where the majority of them were girls and more girls as my co-students. And uh, I grew up in a very artistic thing that music, singing, dancing, drama and all that. And um, it was good. I was very, I was known to be a very brilliant boy. I scored very high percent. Then my father thought that I should be with them. So I was taken to the place where my father was uh, posted in a place uh, not too big. When I went there, there was a culture shock. I went to a village. I, I came from Bangalore studying at a very good school. So I was very, you know, my standard was very high. So that was the first cultural shock. I got some of, but the other things were very interesting. We were exposed to Sanskrita. We were exposed to, uh, of course, that I did in Malayshiram also. And uh, it was good. So thereafter, my father got transferred to another place. And it, the academic system was changed. And my younger brother, who was in seventh standard and I was in eighth standard, both of us came to join the high school together because they abolished the eighth standard. In that, uh, it's not a village, it's a taluk headquarters. We had a fairly big place, a lot of temples, a lot of uh, community of people who, would, who were, in, in, you know, were in Vedic studies. So Samskruta, and uh, thereafter, uh, three years later, we were in a different place uh, in a in Chikmagalur district. There, a little more development took place, but there uh, the prominence was given to Hindi. In uh, the previous place, we were uh, taught Amara Kosha, then uh, Veda Patha, and then uh, we qualified in some exams also. And here in uh, this place, next place, we were exposed to Hindi, and I. When I was in the ninth standard, I completed Rashtra Bhasha and I was preparing for Visharada. So I had a fairly good grounding in some Kannada, Sanskrita, and Hindi. And English came, you know, as a byproduct, and we studied English. And my father encouraged me to take part in essay writing, debate competitions, and uh, we were grew, we grew up with uh, cows in our household. And uh, for getting the field, I, my father used to send me along with the peon to different places. I was maybe 11 years old. I traveled here. And then thereafter, I traveled wide for, uh, for taking part in various competitions also, essay competition, debate competition. And I remember in, uh, uh, I think it was in 1963, 
or so, maybe 64, I don't know. Uh, centenary celebrations of Ramakrishna Paramahamsa, Viveka, Swami Vivekananda was organized by Ramakrishna Ashram Mysore. So they called for uh, essay competition and uh, four students were selected from each district and I stood first in the district. I participated in that. I got a prize there in the centenary celebration. So my grounding was into language, literature, and uh, more more so uh, in literature and uh, all the three, in linguistics. As we were growing up, my father felt this village is not adequate for giving him good exposure. So let us send him to a better place. So I was sent to a place called Maladi Hali in Chitradurga district where uh, there was an ashram and ashram run high school. It was a boarding school. And I tell you, it, <laughs> it could put any prison to shame. The students were made to get up at four o'clock in the morning and 4.30 we would uh, assemble for Surya Namaskara, 4.30 to 5.30 Surya Namaskara, then again freshening up and then have breakfast and then morning PT and then go, go to school. This is what, eighth standard? Eighth, ninth standard? Uh, that I was, I, I had reached 10th standard. 10th, okay. So it was very rigorous, but I was a very bright student. In spite of all that, it was a great setback because I was fed on cow's ghee, cow milk at home and all good big goodies. And there we used to be fed with, uh, you know, jowar, jowar mudde uh, and uh, uh, some, uh, some kind of dal. Or, uh, so the discipline yeah. came into your life right from the time of your grandparents' home that you stayed in till the 10th standard when we were put into the school. So yes. discipline just became part and parcel of your life. Yes. Yes, oh. but, but till then there was no resentment. Okay. There was no rebellion, you know, in me. It was part of my life. But here, some kind of rebellion, you know, <laughs> generated, you know, because everything was, you know, like they used to discipline us with a stick. So oh. we used to, like ringmasters. So <laughs> that made me a little, you know, is it necessary? Why should we take all this? So it was kind of there, it was there, but it, it did not manifest. So after that, because of my background in Ramakrishna Shrama centenary celebrations, uh, in Bangalore, when I uh, reached uh, the 10, I completed my 10th standard and uh, was required to join the college for pre-university, uh, my father thought uh, I should be in a hostel. So he said, apply for an admission somewhere and join a hostel. And the closest hostel for National College was Ramakrishna Vidyarthi Mandira. And that they openly welcomed me because I had that uh, you know, tag that I was a prize winner of essay competition. I knew about Ramakrishna Paramahamsa, Swami Vivekananda and all that. They were very happy to accommodate me there. And that was a very, very glorified prison. Everything is very you know, stick and span, very of very high standard, but everything, you know, like that. In that framework of discipline. Routine did not change much. Hmm. Uh, instead of 4.30, you would get up at 5.30. 5.30 to, uh, you know, 6 o'clock to 6.45 PT, and then break, uh, breakfast, and then by 8 o'clock, we would be off for the college, then have lunch, have sports in the afternoon, in the game. You know, when we came back from college, most of us, 99%, we would come back to the college, hostel, <laughs> didn't go anywhere. And after the sports, then again in the evening, Morning prayer, of course, I forgot about the prayer. 5.30 to 6 o'clock was the prayer. Very good prayer, huh? very soothing very, with all the instruments and all that. It was very nice. And evening again from 6.30 to 7, we used to have the prayer. Oh, 7 to 
Then 7.30 to 8.30, compulsory meals to sit. We had to study. And then 8.30, you would be allowed for dinner. Nine o'clock, we would assemble in uh, our recreation room, play Keram Chinesa, or uh, listen to the radio. 9.30, we would be back in the one-year National College. Oh my so National God. College, so it was again- Seems like very, very, life prepared you for a life in defense. <laughs> no, I never imagined that it would take, lead me to, into defense. In What happened in the college was, since I had attended classes only in Kannada medium, National College of you know, being of that high standard, everything, you know, was in most of the students either came from national high school or from other parts of the city or from English medium. So most of the conversations used to take place in English and the science subject, it just flew over my head. I just couldn't take it. In the, you know, language classes, Kannada and English, I used to be ex very well, I used to be very good, but science, it, it just didn't. It, it didn't, I couldn't take it at all. And somehow time passed and I, again, the story repeated, I got 83% in Canada, 78% in English, and admissible percentage in physics, chemistry, and mathematics. So what to do? Then my mother's cousin was the head of the department of physics. He had seen me there in the college. He said, no, this is not bad. He needs some kind of prodding and coaching and he'll do well. Allow him to study it once again. So in that intervening period, the very next month after the results were announced, it started bugging me. What will I do for one full year? Again, going through the same uh, role of studying science, it can't, I can't do that. So as luck would have it, there was an advertisement in the newspaper calling for candidates to join us, apprentices. Apprentices for various, you know, telecommunication, engineering, instrumentation, engineering. But I was good, you know, doing bending things, you know, stripping the bicycle, stripping the clock, stripping the radio, and assembling it again. Although I used to do all those things. So I thought apprenticeship is good. So let's see. I don't have to study much. Let me do some technical work. And I applied for it. And I was called for an interview in Bhopal. And when I went to Bhopal, then I saw what the life it was for joining the army as an apprentice. Then uh, I thought this is the do or die question. On one hand, I'll get humiliated. On the other hand, the intimidation of studying the science all over again. So I said, no, nothing to do. I did very well in the entrance exam also and in the interview also, I stayed back. So three years of diploma, apprenticeship diploma in telecommunication engineering, look where I landed up. And thereafter, I was absorbed in the army and I applied for services selection board. And that was the best part, you know, the three years of studying for a degree and then one year in the Indian Military Academy, that changed my whole life. It gave me some purpose. It gave me some, you know, reason to be doing well, excelling and performing well and then enjoying life. One year I spent in the Indian Military Academy was the best time of my year. For all that, you know, that frustration and the rage that had built in me, it got vented. It was released in these three years in degree course and one year in the Indian military. I became a totally transformed person. But the fact remained that I was into artillery, which involved a lot of technical subjects and science subjects. Again, it was bothering me a lot. So that is how I landed up in the army. Okay. So you said that one year in IMA was your most memorable year. Can you take us through that one year which transformed you to become who you became? Uh, 
it actually transformed more than transforming me. Uh, it kind of you know prepared me for leading a good quality of life. You see, apart from the training which one is exposed to for yeah. making them good leaders and good commanders, uh, it also kind of you know uh, inculcates certain uh, habits and it certain you know it changes way of thinking. Hmm. So. It, it was it, it helped me in transformation. First thing is our uh, physical toughness and mental agility that gets built, hmm. and uh, physical to the extent that we just give up. Yes, I'm gone, but then we look, open our eyes and say, no, that, that is the destination. Yes, we can make it. So we motivate ourselves. We take muster all the strength and then move move on. Hmm. And mental agility, taking decisions, quick decisions. No. Those things and leadership quality. You see, we we have a very you know great uh, bonding mm. among ourselves, among our teammates and our course mates, and that kind of camaraderie, that kind of you know team bonding and uh, working in a team. And you see, the appointments are also given in rotation. So today I am just a cadet. Uh, I am one of the team mem- member of the team, and tomorrow I'll be holding an appointment of a little higher responsibility. Again, I come back to the team as a regular cadet. Mm-hmm. So that rotation is holding the position of authority, holding the position of decision making and leading people. And that also you know, helps a lot to both you know, behave as a leader and also being a team member. So that and the quality of life, see, or we have to be or we have to be you know, immaculately dressed and we have to conduct ourselves the most dignified way, the most professional way. And we have to be highly disciplined. Our morale and integrity cannot be compromised at any cost, at all costs. And also, we have to show exemplary courage. We have to have exemplary courage. Mm-hmm. And physically, we have to maintain certain level of strength, you know, physical stamina, so that we are not let down by our own self. And like that, you know, apart from that, we are also taught uh, the military psychology, the military history, military law so that gives the grounding for becoming a good commander platoon commander and apart from that uh, certain uh, various other aspects of uh, uh, you know or scenario around us uh, the international scenario and our current affairs and all that horse riding then of course weaponry so all that and then the way we carry ourselves you know move around with confidence and then we march smartly. We move from one place to another, marching well. And then we conduct ourselves in that dignified manner with our instructors, with our uh, team members, uh, our colleagues. And so that you know that transformation, it from a just ordinary adolescent and a teenager becomes a responsible class one guested officer. So that is the transformation which takes place in IMA. And the kind of food we get, the kind of you know the way we. It is presented to us and then we have it. Everything, you know, there is not one particular thing, you know, which is so impressive and which others are not. Everything is exemplary there. So that is that is the experience I had in the in military academy. And of course, the sports and competitions, we die. We just die for our company banner. And whichever I am not, I am not a sports person at all. So, but for the sake of you know being in the team, I I I picked up hockey. I picked up football. Uh, of course, uh, I was. I used to play in village badminton. From there, I graduated to team 
sports and so that is how i my uh, innings in the army got you know corrected after joining as an apprentice i qualified for uh, the uh, grant of commission permanent commission and then came out of the indian military academy as a lieutenant in the regiment of artillery okay and uh, yes there were a lot of uh, skills you picked up and a lot of uh, right attitudes to face life that you picked up what about friendships uh, that you made in that journey uh, major bhargava because i think uh, such uh, spaces where you are challenging yourself and sometimes you're alone it's the people around you who are going through similar journeys with whom you make very special bonds so any of those moments that still bring back smiles and tears together uh, for you at iowa oh yes there are many of them plenty of them uh, of course uh, fortunately for us you know uh, most of us um, uh, still you know we, we recently we celebrated our uh, 48th year of uh, commissioning in the indian military academy uh, what 90% of our batch assembled there and we spent three days glorious days and then went through the memory lane and uh, some of them uh, are here in bangalore uh, we still keep meeting each other once in a while of course whatsapp thanks to whatsapp we are in touch we are a very close knit group and uh, the moments we said uh, the moments in a very very unforgettable moments are uh, both you know the ones where you know we we were totally gone you know down in the dump and then we picked up from there and then proceeded ahead and the other ones are in such circumstances also humor never left us so those things you know i i remember we uh, in the jungle warfare camp uh, in dehradun uh, in the out, outskirts of uh, dehradun and huge jungles and we were camping and as soon as we entered the camp location it started pouring down so badly and uh, we were required to establish our camp and then settle down for the night and also among us is we were required to do the guard duty we, we some of us you know we, we take turns and then be alert we, we are guarding the camp so i was uh, the platoon uh, sergeant uh, i was required to ensure that everybody has pitched the camp properly and i was uh, required to oversee the uh, layout and also in the night i was required to go around and then see whether the guards are alert or not so when i was passing by from the bivouac i heard a singing noise coming you know and i said who is this when nobody can keep our eyes open he is singing then i thought i saw subhash gentleman called subhash eknath rokne you know leaning against the tree and then you know holding his rifle and then sing whistling what broccoli what is wrong with you there is hardly any time for rest for us why don't you sleep rest you he said no if i sleep then you know uh, the water will carry you know flow around over me and there are so many leeches around leeches will eat me alive so i thought i would just spend the time like this so my god so he is able to keep awake and then the, and in order to keep awake he is whistling so that set me thinking my god people can be like this also that was one moment i can never forget but unfortunately uh, subhash eknath rokle is no more he passed away in aurangabad about a couple of years back so this is one of the rare moments and of course there were plenty of them and uh, you know in the final last our end of the term we have a camp called chindits camp so it is most grueling very very grueling camp and then when we come back to the academy 
taking a circuitous route through the mountains and jungles and all that. By the time we reach the outskirts of the uh, Indian Military Academy campus, uh, we are already gone, dead. So we pick up others, you know, somebody is picking up somebody's, uh, you know, haversack, somebody is picking up somebody's rifle, and we are literally dragging and then coming. So that is how, you know, thick and thin, we, but we never leave a man behind. So this is what, uh, you know, uh, makes us unique. So that is how, you know, you, you must have heard, uh, even in the latest, uh, the thing, Kargil War, Pakistan left their men, left their dead. We never do that. So this is how we develop that bonding. This is how okay. we develop that, those ethos. That, that's very true because many of the Kargil hero stories was all about carrying back their fellow comrades rather than leaving them behind. Uh, and in the process, hurting themselves, but just moving ahead, carrying the others. So life in the army, I know it was a long stint, but are there moments that you can share with us about life in the army, uh, which still make you proud, make you feel that, okay, if I could do it then, and that has taught you how to face life as a civilian as well. So are there certain moments that you'd like to share with us? Uh <clears throat> I'm at a loss of words, uh, lots of words, lots of words here, because it is, uh, the journey was definitely a long journey and uh, defining moments for myself, yes, my personal moments, there were quite a few and uh, I overcame that. And then, uh, then, then, then uh, there were uh, certain, uh, okay, you know, there were certain incidents, you know, where I, I played an important role so I can recall a couple of them, one or two of them, uh, at least two of them. One was uh, when we were uh, dispatched on a maneuver. I was leading the convoy of uh, the guns, you know, artillery guns. We had six guns with us and the detachment and the whole convoy of about 34 vehicles. And when we were uh, required to take a turn and then we halted for a short while, a brief while to confirm we are going on the right track. So when the convoy halted, a gunner wanted to uh, assure, uh, ensure that the gun is hooked and towed properly and the convoy moved and he fell down and then came under the wheel of the gun and it went over his uh, right thigh and the driver immediately halted the vehicle and other vehicles also halted and since the convoy was not moving, I took a U-turn and went back and saw this gun, this guy was caught under the gun wheel. So I managed to extricate him and then put him in, his, in my Jeep. And then I asked our two, my second in command to take the convoy ahead. And I went back to the camp. Thereafter, I had to take him to Jodhpur for hospitalization. Then on the way, he uh, ended as, and he, he breathed last. And thereafter, I had to take him for the postmortem. And then when the postmortem was done, I had to bring him back and then give him a proper cremation. So it, it, you know, it was a very, very sad. At the same time, I took the lead and I did everything. I did all the running around and my commanding officer and the entire unit left me alone for doing everything to take care of everything. And after the cremation was over, everybody was in tears. And thereafter we went back to our respective posts and command, the commanding officer asked me to take the first shoot make the guns fire for the first time. Now, all the, we are known as observing OP officers, said, Bhargav, you take the first shoot. Let your guns fire first. And the gunners who were with him, 
who had the loss were, you know, with the, all the tears and emotions, pent up emotions, they fired and the firing was accurate, 100% on ground, on target. So this was an immemorable, this is a very, this was an experience which I can never forget. So having gone through that grief, having gone through that tragedy, we, we did not forget our professionalism and we did not, uh, you know, kind of uh, uh, take, and take the, uh, ex take, excuse ourselves from doing what we were required to do, what we were meant to do. So that is one. And another one was in 1984, we were moving from uh, Bare towards Bareilly to establish a roadblock for people who ran away from uh, Sikh Regiment Center and then they were running, rushing towards Amritsar because the Blue Star had just happened. So we were supposed to halt them, arrest them, and then take them into custody. While doing that, uh, one of the officers of my team, uh, his vehicle collided with a coal-laden lorry head-on. And the driver lost his consciousness, and this fellow was injured very badly. And I went back and I saw in the, he was uh, you know, crouching and he was unconscious. So I extricated him from the vehicle and held him like this. And I kept thinking, what happens? You know, I, I have to rush him to the hospital. I held him like this in my arms. And then we rushed about 180 kilometers from the place to uh, Bareilly Hospital. And then I still held him like this. And then he was taken into the emergency surgery. And uh, the neurosurgeon was summoned from New Delhi. From Delhi, he was flown in from by helicopter to Bareilly. And then his operation surgery was conducted around uh, six o'clock in the morning. The accident took place around midnight. And by six o'clock, the surgery was done. And he was saved. His life was saved. And, and with great difficulty, he was able to get back the control of his limbs also, both the hands and legs. So this was the second one. They said, you are like an angel. Nobody would ever done that. You, how did you manage to hold him like that? How did you take the decision of saving him that way? In, you know, you just forgot about everything and then you focus only on saving him. I said, he was so young, 23 years old boy. He, his, his, his father is his fatherless. His younger brother and mother, both of them in, from Alabama. What would they think that somebody who was able to give him some help or who was, help was not given. People were not responsive. That was one thing. And second thing is, I thought it is my primary duty to ensure that uh, I should do whatever I can to help my fellow officer, my brother officer. So these two sad incidents happened. Otherwise, we had a very good training. And most importantly, Rashmi, here I want to tell you, I did not uh, complete my full tenure uh, out of premature retirement for the simple reason that this was always on me, that I cannot be good in science subjects and technical subjects. So I was good in languages. I had a flair for languages in 1984. Uh, they called for volunteers to study foreign languages. So I applied for that and scored very high percentage in the entrance exam. So they decided that I could do well in Chinese language. So they selected me for uh, doing an interpretation course in Chinese language. I did that in uh, 86 and 87, uh, two years course, uh, and then qualified as an interpreter with first division marks, high, good percentage. And thereafter, I was picked up to be an interpreter for four years. I, I was an interpreter of uh, Chinese language for four years. And then uh, in the meantime, uh, because of various other reasons, I could not continue doing the services. I took after it for uh, retirement and then came out to the private sector. 
So this this has been the journey of mine in the army. Okay, uh, when you say Chinese, there is Mandarin and there's Cantonese. So Mandarin is supposed to be really tough and Chinese as a language itself is supposed to be way tougher than most languages in the world. Uh, and you said that uh, you did really well. So right there, uh, uh, what is it about uh, the Chinese language that makes it so difficult since you've studied the language? I'm just curious, Major Barga, what challenged you? Because they say in the Chinese language, there's no alphabet, it's words that you have to learn. And uh, so I'm, this is only hearsay that I have read about or heard people talk. But since you've learned the language, if there is something that you want to tell us about your understanding of Chinese, what would you tell a person who's a little doubtful whether I can study Chinese because it's very okay. tough? Good question. Uh, Mandarin and Cantonese are two different forms of Chinese, traditional Chinese language. Mandarin is used in mainland China and Cantonese is used in uh, Hong Kong. Mm. And uh, the, what, uh, the Mandarin is supposed to be the ancient Chinese language. And uh, it, both, whether it is Mandarin or Chinese, both of them, Chinese language as such, are the toughest in the world. Mm. Like you said, they do not have an alphabet, they do not have letters, but they have something known as characters. Hmm. They are based on strokes. There are four strokes. Using the strokes with the brush, they make characters. The characters look like uh, pictures. It is pictorial representation of our word or ours. It is symbolic representation. Japanese, Korean, all the three oriental languages have similarity in terms of the characters, but their pronunciation, their language, their grammar, everything is totally different from each other. Yeah. And Chinese is the toughest. Chinese Mandarin has two forms. One is the new form, the other one is simplified form, the other one is the old form. So old form used to have some 64 strokes for a very complicated character, but the simplified Mandarin does not have so many strokes, so it is very easy to identify and remember. Because, see, when I studied Chinese, even now, mastering 6,000 characters uh, matriculate, 20,000 characters, it is about a graduate, and, and it's more than that. And the best part is, it has a grammar, it has more exceptions than rules. So if the rule says the sentence has to be with subject, object, predicate, in one sentence, it can be broken, it can be modified, and without a subject, without a predicate, a sentence can be made. So more exceptions than rules. And another best of beauty is uh, the Chinese. Uh, like they said, uh, it doesn't have uh, the alphabet. It is the order of characters. So it can be from the right to the left. It can be left to the right, like Urdu, Farsi. It can be from top to the bottom. It can be from bottom to the top. It is just, if you see a one single line, vertical line in front of you, the sentence can start from here, it can start from here. Only thing is you have to pick up the cue from the key character. You have to identify the key character from which the uh, sentence starts. Thereafter, you can uh, translate or you can uh, read the sentence. So apart from that, another uh, you know, peculiar feature about uh, the Chinese characters uh, is that, uh, they have a different combination of characters. Either one single you know, character can give you the meaning of a whole paragraph. 
or there could be a page full of characters of about say about 300 characters giving the meaning of only one single sentence so you have to have that you know lack of understanding the flow of the uh, of the, the the arrangement of characters to extract meaning out of that so that is how it is uh, the toughest uh, not only to understand not only to interpret and the best part is when we transmit from mandarin to any other conventional language we have to struggle to find an equivalent word so that is the peculiarity of you know chinese major bhargav uh, life in the armed forces is all about shifting moving constantly in different parts of the country so looking back and talking about your personal life how has this movement shaped mrs bhargav and your son and uh, how has it helped you take decisions which are very crucial in your life if you can take us through that uh, was that also a reason why you came into civilian life uh, yes rashmi that is the reason i took premature retirement uh, the question you asked me uh, kind of you know revived all those joyty were rain by my in my heart and uh, i recall uh, the few days you know initial few days which uh, i spent you know, after i left the army uh, i was going i was doing well as a bachelor enjoying life and my family that is my then my parents and my siblings had absolutely no idea about uh, my life as to who i am what i am what i am doing what my Uh, routine is what my life is and uh, what kind of situations i am exposed to what kind of uh, job i am doing they were just thinking that he is in the army that's it some kind of uh, alliances you know they started coming in and my parents also called me up they said uh, come down and arrange a marriage for you so none of them really worked out and i was frustrated and i was able to go back then my sisters father in law in maleshwaram thought that look this is a good boy you should get a good match and you should be well settled with marriage up you know, soon you should not be delayed so immediately he sent across a word to my uh, wife's place and uh, arranged for a meeting and the moment i saw the photograph i said look this is the match and uh, i think we will be we'll be good partners life partners so we had a meeting in my sister's place on the same day and uh, we decided to marry each other and the parents also more than happy and that is how we got married and her name is lakshmi she joined me for i it took about 5 months for me to do to get even uh, the engagement ceremony done and get married and all that so 5 months later we got married and again our marriage was also a kind of trend setup we didn't uh, get married the way the traditional marriages take place we wanted it to be simpler and different so we got those days uh, the trend had just started uh, we got married in hotel woodlands as per traditions total all you know observing all the customs traditions and rituals only for half a day all you know telescoped and uh, no party or hosting the reception after marriage so that was a very bold step everybody they said see what if we cannot come and attend your muhurta then we have to, we can come and greet you in the reception i said if you are really interested in attending my marriage you come down in the morning 
you take leave half a day leave where is the problem so that is how we got married and we set a trend that do this and uh, lakshmi didn't have any idea about what the different services is. her father was well aware of everything and in fact while you know she traveled with me from bangalore to join me there uh, he had even given her a list of ranks in the army he knew a lot about the army he knew about the different services he was well read so i apart from that and my youngest brother had some he was you know kind of excited and uh, awe inspiring about my uniform and my passing out parade and all that because he came to attend the passing out parade except for these three four people people didn't know much about him so my wife came as a totally stranger to the army but she fitted well in the circle and in the society of our uh, uh, army officers and wives and army children we went on very well so we had decided that uh, we would settle down well after emotionally and as well as every you know all aspect when we have a perfect bonding we will go for a child so that is exactly what we did and we waited for two years to have our child a child was born and uh, again like you asked me about separation the first first one was i got married i got engaged had to wait for five months to get married to take leave and go and then now my son was born 2 years later and i had to wait for 5 months to go and take a look at my son for the first time so these two were already there you know even before our family life started this was the kind of separation we had to face i felt sick very viral fever then it became malaria and it became dengue complications with the liver and i was hospitalized for a long time and i medical category Uh, i was brought down in the medical category and my son also developed chicken pox and uh, she was alone at home and i was in the hospital and the doctor said instead of suffering at home you also go to the hospital then you see that is a system generally mother is also allowed to go with the child to the hospital and get admitted so they came to the hospital and i got discharged from the hospital i came home and i waited for them so then we thought this can't go on like this we had to put an end to it and i was recovering and the life was terrible for me because nobody excused me from any duty they expected me to be a part of every you know everything of the routine it was too much on me first on the first hand on one hand technically i am not there is no technical bent up though of course i was happy you know tinkering with scooter car or radio anything but this technical subjects and studying much unless i study further get higher you know qualification uh, i can't have a good future in the army so it was working on my mind so i said we'll leave the army as soon as possible then again the question for this kind of uh, job uh, what i have in the army Uh, the kind of qualification i have what an equivalent job would be in the civil so that was again a worrying point then finally what happened was uh, uh, a blessing in disguise uh, you know god's gift uh, the vacancy for uh, officers to do foreign language course they announced and i op- opted for that and uh, when i opted for that uh, like i told you earlier i did extremely well i stood very high in the merit and i was selected for chinese language so when i went to do chinese language i was allowed to take my family with me we had a beautiful quarters there very old uh, european you know british time uh, bungalow and we had a good you know huge backyard what not my son was freaking out and we had a very good time. two years was a golden period for us and uh, we really enjoyed our stay there we dealt with the people and uh, we had good social life 
And uh, these two years in a hill station really uh, did a lot to my health and I recovered. And uh, before the end of the course, I was re-examined and I was found medically upgradable and my medical category was upgraded. And since I did well on the course, I got the opportunity to serve as an interpreter. So the four years went by busy. I did two expeditions in the Himalayas. We, I took uh, a detachment and then deployed on the Chinese border and we do a lot of things there. So two years I did that, two, in, in the four years, twice I did that. And at the end of four years, I was transferred back to the artillery, to a unit where uh, the families were not allowed. My son and wife had to come to Bangalore. So my son was brought and he was, uh, uh, he, he could join a good school in Sindhi High School in uh, Nehrunaga. And subsequently, uh, he started growing up and started missing me. And I started missing him. And in any case, I had bent upon uh, taking uh, early release. So uh, perhaps, you know, four years later. So my son was already seven or eight years old now. Uh, I took premature uh, reti retirement and came and settled down in Bangalore. So thereafter, my second engine started. But the golden, uh, the most important thing is all the time, my life was only for the sake of my wife and son. I was living and I was doing whatever I did. My existence was because of that. And my son was like sunshine in the night. He was so good. Uh, he was so nice, so active, so alert and so naughty and uh, he was he, he would bring a smile just on us just like that. So the day used to start with him cheering us up with his naughtiness, that kind of a thing. And, and uh, my son studied engineering and then uh, went to USA and uh, he has settled down there after uh, his post-graduation in engineering and electronics and uh, specializing in embedded systems. And he also got married to another engineer girl, his choice. And uh, they are settled down in USA. This is my family. And now Lakshmi continues to uh, encourage me and then uh, support me in whatever uh, whatever I told you, whatever setbacks I had, whatever disappointments I had, I used to come back and she used to give me a lot of encouragement. No, you can do it, you do well. So that is how, and he, she never expected me to spend time with her or for her. She always encouraged me to spend time in improving or enhancing my professional career and also do well in the job so that our life can be better. So that is how it went on. So it continued. Now I am happy that I am able to spend all the time with her. Interesting. So there is Chinese, there is artillery and uh, all the other missions you were on. Now, when you moved from uh, defense life to civilian life, what learning of all of these came with you and uh, uh, have been with you, have been useful to you? Uh, have any of those uh, glorious days that you had in different stints that you did uh, influenced you in your decision-making or in the roles that you played when you moved into civilian life? Was it easy for you to just shift back? <clears throat> no, Rashmi, that was not at all easy. But looking back, you know, things have changed so much that whatever I went through the, or uh, the experiences I had may or may not be relevant or uh, applicable for the present day situation. Because when I took the premature retirement and then wanted to take up a job in the private sector, the world was not ready to accept army officers in their fold. So they all thought that 
military wearing uniform best fit for security jobs but i was lucky i was fortunate that uh, they were so nice they waited for me for 6 months to join because there was a little delay in my getting released and they accommodated me as uh, the admin manager of their company and then i started my first training there the learning was uh, you know very very spectacular like you said uh, it was very difficult for me to reconcile with certain things you know i won't say compromise reconcile and then <laughs> accommodate certain vagaries and certain peculiarities which are you know uh, the hallmark of civilian uh, way of life and civilian way of doing things professionalism apart uh, you know being a little lethargic being you know a little uh, easy going uh, being a little flexible that literally you know it was my, against my nature my character and my ethos so that is where i had to learn a lot to understand the psyche and then also the way of getting the things done so it took some time and again that reluctance and some kind of reservation in the mind of the people around that uh, and then uh, actually that led me to a very very uh, you know disturbing situation for me which made me do something which uh, where may you know not many people do uh, and when i was uh, the admin manager of the company the md thought that i can uh, take over as the first level manager but the legal advisor suggested to him that he doesn't have a qualification he is not qualified personal manager he doesn't have a postgraduate or a diploma in personal management so how can you appoint him so that came in the way somehow nobody ever you know polluted my thoughts or my mind but it i came to know about that so i resigned from the job and uh, i went to the head hunter and went the you know who was uh, getting talents for this company and i met him i said on what basis have you i have got this record track he says major sir you are only used to wearing nice clothes and then wearing a stick and then passing orders and expecting people to carry out your order things won't work like that in the private sector you have you you cannot fulfill the, you cannot fit in this then i said i you have point is that i do not have a diploma in the management personal management if that be so one day i'll make people study management from me by me i did not tell him like i said it was not in my nature to express whatever i felt i came out of his office and then i had a job to go by but then i did a lot of studies you know despite uh, being 45 46 years old i did a lot of private study and when i was fairly well settled in the private sector when people started noticing me i got invited to do guest lectures in uh, the business schools and uh, people noticed me that i can also express well i can put across certain theory or certain um, concept quite well to the audience so i was asked to teach a subject management subject which was industrial relations so where i was i was not eligible to be a personal manager and here i am teaching students of mba and pgdm industrial relations so there my academic journey started and there was no looking back and every time i received an invitation it was for a different subject so you can understand you know in order to save my reputation myself uh, you know uh, i embarrassment i had to study thoroughly and then i studied 
a large number of subjects for PCTM and MBS, which PCTM and MBS students study. And thereafter, by the time I superannuated from my private sector job, uh, I got invited by the promoters of IBM or Business School here to join as a director and take charge of the business school. And thereafter, they transformed me to ISBR and I retired from there. So that has been the journey in the private sector. That's a very beautiful way in which you concluded your journey uh, and made academics also such an integral part. I'm sure your students must, every one student of yours who has met you even once must be still in touch with you, inspired by your stories. We are in the last part of our conversation. Uh, if there are three, I'm sure there are innumerable, but if there are three life lessons that you would like to leave us with, which have stayed with you and will continue to, what would those three life lessons be? We have to take life seriously. Okay. And, you know, have the ownership and responsibility for our actions. First thing. And second thing is, uh, there needs to be passion in everything that we do. If we do something for the sake of doing it or uh, because we are required to do, it doesn't really help or it doesn't matter. So passion, doing anything and everything with passion and commitment. And third thing, uh, maintaining good relationships. So these are the very important things, three things that uh, at this point of time I've realized. Wow, so take life seriously, have passion and value relationships. What beautiful lessons, Veja Bhargav, and all three are what soldiers normally show us. Uh, so I think once a soldier, always a soldier in life because each one of us is fighting our own battles. And uh, this attitude of the soldier to work on oneself and take oneself forward in order to make sure everyone behind you is safe, I think is something that all of us play in different roles in our lives. Uh, thank you so much for uh, sharing your time, your space and your life uh, with me on you and I with Rashmi Shetty. It's been an honor hosting you. Uh, God bless you. May you continue to inspire and be the beautiful human being You've always been. Thank you very much for giving us your time. And continue to shine light and also bring out the best in the human beings and the fellow citizens so that the society takes a, some kind of, you know, looks back and then think, takes a, gives it a thought. You are doing a wonderful job. Continue doing it. And good luck. And thank you, Rashmi. Thank you, Veja Bhargava. Bye. <laughs> with that, we come to the end of this weekly quest of You and I with Rashmi Shetty. Do let us know if you know people who make the world beautiful. Write in to rashmi.thethirdi at gmail.com. That is R A S H M I dot T H E. T-H-I-R-D-E-Y-E at gmail.com Come, let's explore this amazing world together, both you and I.